We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Hi, I'm Jerry Boyer. Welcome to Meeting of Minds podcast. My guest today is David Bonson. David is a principal of the Bonson Group, one of the, one of the leading financial advisors in America, um, and has recently become perhaps the leading financial advisor investor in the area of corporate engagement with publicly traded corporations uh, regarding matters of viewpoint diversity and shareholder capitalism as opposed to stakeholder capitalism. Um, And specifically, we're talking about an instance today where he has a proposal on the ballot. He's used his authority as a shareholder to put a proposal on the ballot of the largest bank in the United States by by market cap, maybe the largest bank in the world, J.P. Morgan Chase, specifically about this issue of civil liberties and religious liberty. David, welcome back to the program. Well, Jerry, thanks so much for having me. So why did you do this? Why is, I mean, there are millions of shareholders out there. Um, and uh, certainly J.P. Morgan Chase has many, many shareholders, but only one of them did this, um, and that's you. Why did you do it? Well, you know what else J.P. Morgan has is shareholders who have put resolutions on different um, meeting agendas that are quite left-wing or quite against the interests of the company or quite ideologically radical you even on the same meeting agenda where my resolution exists there are other proposals from shareholders exercising their shareholder rights but rather than do something in the interest of shareholders what what uh, is believed to be best for the company um, as i think my resolution is intended to do some of these others are really geared towards advancing um, a pretty radical ideology And what I believe, and a lot of this are things, Jerry, that I've learned from you and with you and that we are uh, aligned and like-minded on and partnered together in, but I I believe that uh, shareholders have an opportunity to represent their own interest in a much more meaningful way than they've been doing. And that that does not mean becoming an activist or a radical uh, or a bomb thrower uh, it means using your pre-existing legal rights that have, have existed for shareholders as long as the concept of a corporation has existed and using those things uh, for the better. And, and it's a process that I agree with you on. I like the word engagement more than activism. I am not asking J.P. Morgan to do something crazy against the interest of their company because it fits my ideology. I'm not asking them to not bank um, Muslims just because I'm an evangelical Christian. I'm not asking them to give special terms to reformed people because I come from a reformational background. I'm I'm not looking to do anything out of the ordinary that would be probably not in the best business interest of the company towards my own agenda and various 
political and theological beliefs. I'm just simply asking them not to discriminate. And if they are, to make sure, if they're not doing so, to confirm that they're not doing so with a real process, with, with actual uh, effort. And if, if some of those things are going on, to figure out a way to remedy it for the best interest of all owners, which includes me and includes my clients. I don't know, David. I'm kind of liking this uh, good terms for loans for people from a reformed background. The, yeah. the, 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 the lip and tulip can be limited interest payments. And, I don't know, uh, Cal- some, Calvinists some are... be, being more prudent by nature. <laughs> I, I, I wish that were true. It's my experience is some of them might be high credit risk. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Um, so it's an interesting point you make that there is activism, which in my experience, brings politics to finance. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing, and very few others, uh, I mean, um, I, I mean, and I can count on one hand, um, and I have the normal number of fingers. I can count on one hand and still have a couple of fingers left over the number of actual investors, as opposed to conservative groups, think tanks, whatever, that are engaging this way. Um, and trying to not put the politics into corporations, but take the politics out of corporations. And you've mentioned the other resolutions, you know, having reviewed hundreds and hundreds of them, they're almost always other people's money. Yeah. In other words, there's some uh, ESG fund or, you know, some um, asset manager that's really a social activist, and that's its mission. And, but you're talking about your money. These are David Bonson's shares um, yeah. that we're talking about here. So you're not voting or putting proposals on behalf of a social cause representing somebody else's money. This is your money on the line. You're using the you're using the authority that comes from the assets that you own personally. That's right, and I think that there is more than just symbolic significance in that. I I think that. There's something um, totally different. Um, There are folks on the right. There are folks who are um, advocates of religious liberty, who are allies of guys like you and me in a lot of ways. But their model and what they're looking to do is essentially do the things the left is doing, except for do it with right-wing causation, right-wing context, right-wing ideology behind it. Uh, but they're utilizing a lot of the same tactics. I do think that throwing the baby out of the bathwater is a very bad idea. Um, there's been this effort for something called uh, stakeholder capitalism, became more of a um, real rubber hitting the road thing when the business uh, roundtable embraced it. I think that's now about five years ago. There have been a lot of people who didn't believe in fiduciary duty to shareholders. There's a lot of people who believed it was the legal standard but didn't care that thought, you know, the old Ralph Nader thing. He was always really consistent. He didn't like companies polluting. He didn't like companies that had consumer unsafe products. And 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 so, you know, there is a consistency there. But what I'm trying to do is advocate for the shareholder as the entity, the being, the party, the actor, who is the who the the company owes their fiduciary duty to, and at the same time, um, uphold that the interest that the company has uh, should leave religion and politics out, 
uh, uh, not be hurting the underlying cause of their business. And if they are going to celebrate things like diversity, celebrate diversity consistently, not just with race and gender and sexual orientation, but with religious point of view. Not If you're going to not discriminate, then don't discriminate. But um, not discriminating covers more categories than, than just race. And, and so that's, to me, a very shareholder-friendly way of presenting it. And I am a shareholder. I have an interest in doing so. And so just like I'm always uncomfortable with the idea of buying insurance on somebody else's house, I'm not totally comfortable with activists that go wage these wars when they don't have skin in the game. They're not really advocating for shareholders because they're not shareholders. Mm. They don't have um, that uh, symmetrical risk reward. They don't suffer pain if the company makes bad decisions and they don't uh, generate profit if the company makes good decision. Um, I think that these things are in the spirit of the law best done by people who are actually shareholders of the company. They're owners of the business. Yeah, there's this issue in economics called agency risk, right? Yeah. Where the managers are agents of the shareholders. Um, and um, But that, of course, there's, there's not automatically a perfect alignment of interests, right? So the management of companies are not necessarily, there is a certain alignment with shareholder interests because shareholders elect board of directors, but it's complicated. So there's barriers to shareholders reflecting that. So it's not a perfect alignment. But then when you have an asset manager, like a giant BlackRock, then there's even less alignment. You've put another layer. And then when you have situations where you've got publicly managed pension funds, or you have proxy advisory services, which suffer no consequences whatsoever, um, we're getting so far from that, you know, the purity of it's my money. I want my family. I want to have a decent retirement. I want my children to be able to inherit, et cetera. You get so far from, from that, that alignment and from that interest that the agency risk becomes huge. And it seems to me that that's partly what's happened with publicly traded companies on these hot button cultural issues. And what's ironic is that that agency risk, which is problematic for in the way you're viewing it, the way I'm viewing it, but even then Christians haven't shown up for that. Like they haven't even been engaged uh, at that um, non-agency level, right? Like they, they, they've more or less been content to be removed from the engagement either as agents or non-agents. Hmm. And so not only do I favor them engaging it with real uh, consequences and skin in the game, but not doing so in the context of um, a boycott mentality or a sale mentality or re retreat surrender mentality. And, and I'm very understanding where it comes from. It's a, it's a decent prima facie response. This company is doing bad things. I don't like bad things. Therefore, I don't want to own this company. I get it. But another way I'd encourage some people to think about it is this company is doing a lot of good things and is good at what they do at a core business. And therefore, I'm an owner. And now they've begun doing bad things. It's hurting their cause. But because I'm an owner, I can stay and engage with the company about that and, there, and try to affect change. So in that second syllogism versus the first, it's actually concluding with one wanting to own and probably even own more shares, right? More leverage, more, more power, more uh, influence, I should say, where the other model 
is a surrender. Hmm. It is saying, I have a position that legally grants me some ability to engage. And because I don't like what they're doing, I'm going to forfeit that, which guarantees that they do more of the bad thing I don't like. It, it, it's a non sequitur. Even if I understand where the thinking comes from, it doesn't really follow once you pull it all the way through. Right. And I, I mean, I think that's, there's an important point there. Um, actually, there's a couple of, of important points. One is if you retreat, you're going to decrease your influence. Um, and the other is you invest for returns, right? So you don't, you don't invest for agreement. And that's kind of the beauty of the capitalist system. Somebody can be the CEO of a corporation and they can have a completely antithetical worldview, but they can still be good wealth creators. So they can help your financial goals by investing in them. So then, but you deal with the misalignment of values by trying to be an influence in the right direction. There's, it's, yeah. I think that selling is an in a, selling a company which has a high probability of giving you a good return. And if you're a good asset manager, which you are, you're invested in companies which have a high probability of giving good return. Selling companies which have a high probability of good return is just on the surface, probably a bad idea. Um, and as you say, you're also decreasing influence on influential companies. And so what you've done is you're having a huge influence, David. This is, on, this is on the ballot. They fought it at the SEC level, which meant there had to be a lot of management attention. The SEC agreed with your reasoning that this is properly a shareholder matter, not just ordinary business. A group of state treasurers wrote a letter to J.P. Morgan about this. A group of state attorney general, attorneys general uh, wrote a letter you had an article in the Wall Street Journal, an op-ed, and just a few days ago, there was a major story in the Wall Street Journal on this. That's enormous influence. I mean, J.P. Morgan Chase is engaged in this topic now. They can't ignore it. So instead of them just going on, they canceled the account of, uh, of, of Ambassador Sam Brownback's Religious Freedom Organization, and it's just another speed bump, a blip on the way, uh, you know, more roadkill, more cancel culture. Instead, they are now engaged in a debate that they have not been able to avoid. And, and I actually believe that a lot of those things may not have even happened had J.P. Morgan agreed to put my resolution on the ballot, that I think in particular, the Wall Street Journal, um, what really brought more of a national uh, spotlight to this was them rejecting it and the SEC on appeal ruling in our favor. Um, it, it was kind of free publicity for this engagement. Now, people will say, you know, hey, uh, what are you going to do if if your resolution fails? And I say, hey, guys, I fully expect it to fail. You have of board of directors unanimously voting against it. Um, I'm, I have a good sized position and our clients have a good sized position. And there's plenty of others who are good shareholders who are going to vote the right way on this. But there's a lot of clout of the votes the other way. Uh, so then if this resolution fails, does that mean we failed? And, and I actually do not think I'm being naive at all to say that out of this endeavor, I believe that the worst case is that senior management at Park Avenue is going to be very clear with their local regional branches where some of this nefarious activity was happening, that they need to knock it off, hmm. that they do not want to stay in the spotlight. And while I'd love them to follow my resolution, run a process, come back with real 
um, you know, meaningful kind of consultant level um, remedies to it. That's really what I'd like to get out of this. But if that doesn't happen, I still believe that they are much less likely to be debanking come Wednesday morning than they have been over this last year. And and I think that we'll we'll continue to engage with management to make sure that happens. Yeah, I suspect that's right. Uh, um, my impression um, is that in this world, top management doesn't say, listen, we need to be really careful about doing business with conservatives and Christians because it's going to hurt our reputation. I, I don't think it's a top-down conspiracy. I think you have people in middle management who just have a certain visceral response you know, that this is a conservative politician and, you know, he's pushing religious liberty and these conservatives use religious liberty as a cover for hate. You know, religious liberty equals hate for LGBTQ, et cetera, right? That's, uh, now, of course, that's nonsense, but they're in, you know, in corporate culture, that kind of takes hold a little bit. And isn't it just safer to red dot, that's their internal process, to red dot this client and say, sorry, they're a reputational risk. But when this stuff kind of comes up to the top management level, top management is more conservative or at least more, you know, again, they have skin in the game, right? Because whatever anonymous person (laughs) made this decision in the bowels of the bureaucracy, we haven't heard their name yet. But, you know, you're talking to the, the CEO and the board of the company. They're all going to hear your speech. Yeah. Uh, uh, So they're on, they're on the spot. And I think I, I agree. I think they're going to pay a lot more attention in the future. You know, I, I suspect, Jerry, a big part of the reason why you and I developed our friendship years ago is we share um, a concern for nuance and for uh, Occam's razor, um, as opposed to what could be a more sensationalistic interpretation of events. I think a lot of our friends on the right would prefer to believe that what you and I just said is untrue that this is straight up Jamie Dimon and the evil CEO, CFO, COO that are conspiratorially looking to hurt the right. And the problem with that theory is not that JP Morgan is not responsible for bad action. I think they clearly are. It's that it's much less likely that the CEO is himself some sort of villain out there because one of JP Morgan's defenses, by the way, was what? You think we shut, we debanked five Christian accounts. We have 50,000 Christian accounts. It's a pretty reasonable response. I'm saying, well, why not have 50,005? And what is the best explanation as to how those five got debanked? If if Jamie Dimon said, hey, let's get the word out. None of these uh, Christian people, none of these conservative people, then they probably wouldn't have the 50,000. I don't think they ever did that. Right. I think what you just said is the Occam's razor interpretation that at a local level, somebody said, hey, in this LGBT reputational risk movement, we just got a memo from HR or we just got a memo from our DEI people or our ESG people, or whatever it is, we're going to red dot this particular account. And that because they don't have a process and it isn't like Park Avenue can go approve every account. Uh, that at a local level, things break down and they end up discriminating. Hmm. And what we suggested in our resolution will hopefully identify and then remedy that. But I think that the notion that we want to go, um, you know, find someone that can be instantly personified and as a, as a candidate for demonization, it, it kind of channels our anger and frustration more. But the problem is it's not very nuanced. It's not very accurate. 
And and I think what we're trying to do is engage here with a little more accuracy, a little bit more intelligence. Um, for one thing, Jamie Dimon has generally, I wouldn't say he's ever been a conservative. I don't think he reads Hayek. I don't think he's one of us. But he, look, he's never been a far left guy either. He, he He's always been a kind of, you know, Manhattan moderate. A Manhattan moderate, you yeah. know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Oh, was, absolutely. Right. He was critical of the Obama administration. He's fought back with AOC on the floor of Congress about energy. Look, they're riddled with ESG stuff and LGBT stuff. They they're as politically correct in their public persona as anybody else. But my point is that it didn't ever make sense to me that Park Avenue was saying let's go to war with Sam Brownback. But it made perfect sense to me that some regional bureaucrat was going to war with Sam Brownback, and that's what we got a remedy. Yeah, right. And I, I think the other thing that's different about the personalizing it, I mean, that's the Alinsky right technique. And, you know, the right, for some reason, feels like it has to imitate Alinsky. So we're going to freeze it, personalize it, rub raw the resentments, yeah. et cetera. Oh, okay, great. What kind of society does that lead to? As opposed to, I mean, as I understand, your goal here. Um, is to have a constructive relationship with a company that you're one of the owners of. I mean, you know, you like this. I like this company. This is a really well-run bank. They know their stuff. They're excellent at their job. They pay a strong dividend, a growing dividend. I mean, and it just that in itself is a very fiduciary thing to do, right? To you know, send well, you cash know, and back. And you know who else seems to also agree that they're a well-run bank is everybody. Since every time another bank gets in trouble, they turn to <laughs> they J.P. Go, Morgan exactly. to, to help them out. Exactly. So from First Republic to Washington Mutual to Bear Stearns, um, they, you know, Jamie famously codified this term, our fortress balance sheet, and it's been true. Now, they've made mistakes. They famously had that London whale right. trading error. You know, look, it's a very large, very complex organization. But um, you're right. Look, my company bought it in the 20s. The share price was in the 20s. In the aftermath of the great financial crisis, I figured they'd be the first company that the Fed would allow to resume their dividend payment. I was quite certain they didn't need TARP money and were forced to take it. Yes. And now as we're sitting here having the discussion, engaging with JP Morgan, we're owners of it in the 140s. So, you know, they've more than quadrupled equity value in a very, very tough time for banks, a time where a lot of the banks haven't even gone up at all in share price, and they've been paying this delicious growing dividend over the time. They're good at what they do, but they need to not be debanking people for political and religious reasons. Ultimately, that represents a cancer around the culture of their firm, and and I, as a shareholder, don't want to see that happen. I guess that's partly the difference between an activist and an investor, who's an engager, um, and that is, to some degree, the activist, the, the bargain the activist offers to a capitalist institution is atonement. You're a capitalist institution, you're very profitable, that's a problem. You can atone for your financial success by loving all the stakeholders, you know, by not focusing on all this capitalist stuff and dividends and all this financial stuff, you know, you you need to you, you need to feel guilty about that. So here's the way you can pay. You can buy indulgences for your high profitability by you know it, by pandering to whatever sexual identity of the month or you know whatever the issue, abortion, etc. So it in in essence, activism is a repudiation of the core mission of the company. 
what you're doing, shareholder engagement, is an, such an affirmation of the company that it says, do more of what you do, yeah. which means don't get distracted by the thing that isn't your business. We like you so much as managers that we want you thinking about management issues 100% of the time, not 90% of the time management issues and 10% of the time culture war issues. And and you know what is interesting here, Jerry, is um, the editor of the Wall Street Journal, when I submitted the op-ed, interacted with me and said, I don't think it's correct that a bank has a fiduciary duty to bank everybody. Wouldn't their fiduciary duty be to not bank unprofitable customers? And I said, I absolutely agree with that, James. That is a, a true statement. But that is not what J.P. Morgan said here. They did not say this is an unprofitable customer, that this customer represents a damage to our reputation, or this customer wants to borrow at below market rates or receive above market deposit rates. They didn't allege any business case. They just denied and refused to sort of discuss what it is that had gone on. But they denied there was any kind of issue with the religion or the politics or anything right. like that 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 if if um we were talking about the bank account of national fentanyl dealers that sold um fentanyl laced narcotics on the street and they go hey they closed our account and you're a shareholder don't you want to see them open as many accounts right. for us fentanyl dealers as possible i would say no i think that they have a right to not bank for illegal narcotics dealers and it would be bad for the business of course that they were breaking the law. Yeah. And then people would say, well, what's the difference? I'd say, oh, okay, well, now we can have a conversation. You do want to equate Christians with fentanyl dealers. Right. But see, they didn't do that. And of course, they don't think that. Right. Um, but had they said certain LGBT policies are as dangerous to us as if it were a street gang, then, then we could have that discussion. To J.P. Morgan's credit, they didn't say that which allowed me to make my case on the basis of shareholder, um, uh, what is best for shareholders. If they wanted to make the case that it's best for shareholders to not have a banking relationship and offer services that come with fees and whatnot. That's another thing, by the way, is for an asset manager or a wealth manager like me, you, not every client is necessarily a good client to have. Like right. You could make a business case, but it's a pretty high bar to argue that a straight depository banking client is bad for business exactly. because, because they get to leverage the deposit assets in the form of loans they extend to the community. Right. And they don't have minimum account sizes because it's all profitable. And by the way, if it's an unprofitable client, then why did you approve them in the first place? I mean, exactly. they approved, they had an account, then they canceled the account. Yeah. And if it's right. a reputational issue, guess what? Huge miscalculation. Because 19 attorney general and 14 uh, treasurers and a major financial advisor and the Wall Street Journal editorial page and a whole bunch of other groups are now talking about this issue. This was a huge reputational hit to cancel, far more than it would have been a reputational hit to have a conservative religious um, client. Uh, so, uh, and this is so if that's the calculation, this is different pretty than bad. In the Nike case. Like people made the argument with Nike, oh, you're going to hurt your Midwest clientele with this Colin Kaepernick stuff. And, and see, Nike ended up being right on that, right. that whoever they alienated in middle America, which they alienated me, they alienated plenty of people that are still patriots and, and still don't think that uh, 
you know, the issues of police brutality mean we shouldn't stand for the national anthem and stuff like that. Like there's people who disagree with what Kaepernick said, including myself, and people who disagree with how Nike handled it, including myself. But Nike is right that there were probably more people in their customer base that liked it than disliked it. Yes. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. With J.P. Morgan, they said we have 50,000 religious uh, accounts open. So so if the reason is, hey, we know that Sam Brownback has a right to say it, but we're just telling you for our customer, they don't like you, Jesus freaks. I'd be like, well, you got 49,997 more <laughs> accounts to close. Right, right, right. <laughs> Right. You're not you're not um, questioning that they have a right to reputational um, risk management. This, no. They just should do it competently. This was and, not. And, and, and honestly. And honestly, with transparency. Yeah. All right. David Bonson from the Bonson Group. Um, really admire what you're doing here. And I know you've got other proposals coming up uh, in shareholder season, and we can loop back and talk about those at another time. But this is about the J.P. Morgan Chase one. And I want to thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for being with us on Meaning of Minds podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Jerry. Thanks for all the great work you're doing as well, my friend. I'm Jerry Boyer. Thank you for joining us. 